Well, hello again. This is Buck Benny speaking. Welcome to another episode of the Jack Benny Show from the 1948-1949 season. Oh, wow. This, this episode is really a wonderful, different episode that I think you're really going to enjoy. It features Barbara Stanwyck on it. Um, Jack does his take on Sorry Wrong Number. But to really give you guys an understanding of this, because I know that there's some folks out there that really love the Jack Benny shows and don't listen to a lot of the other shows I play. Um, and I just don't want someone going into this without knowing what Sorry Wrong Number was about. Uh, so what I'm going to do is uh, play you first Sorry Wrong Number from the Suspense uh, series. And this stars Agnes Moorhead. I'm not going to grab the first time she played it because they kind of messed up the ending on that one and it was confusing to the audience. I'm going to grab one of the times that she played it that um, where it's done correctly the whole episode. So, uh, But she played that part, Agnes Moorhead, I think she says 12 times on radio or something like that. For suspense, it was at least like six. But anyway... It's just a great piece of radio. It is the most famous episode of Suspense ever, and that later it was made into a movie, and when they made it into a movie, Barbara Stanwyck was the actress they chose to play the main lead in the movie. And so you're going to get a chance to hear Barbara Stanwyck after the episode on the Jack Benny show. So uh, it's going to be an interesting little twofer you get here of two episodes packed into one. So first... Suspense, Sorrowing Number with Agnes Moorhead, and then uh, The Jack Benny Show with um, Barbara Stanwyck as the guest. Um, just uh, a, a lot of fun for you tonight, and Barbara Stanwyck, I've just got to say, uh, she appeared on more Jack Benny shows than I think any other actor or actress, probably. Um, I'd have to check that out, but I, I'm pretty sure I'm right. And uh, she just... Um, it gave me a new respect for her. I'd only known her from the Big Valley. And if you're my age, that's maybe where you know her from the best as the mom on the Big Valley. But she'd been in, uh, she appeared four times on Wagon Train and uh, about four times on uh, Death Valley Days and just on television shows all over the place. She, of course, was a regular on Dynasty and the Colbys in the 70s, 80s, whatever. Um... But where, she, where she's really uh, is amazing is her film work. She was in so many great films. Probably her best is Double Indemnity. But you could go through the 40s, and she was in quality film after quality film after quality film. And all the way back to her first films were in the 20s. And uh, just a phenomenal act actress. Um, the American Film Institute rates her as number 11 on the list of all-time greatest female actresses, uh, which is a, an amazing place to be amongst all those fantastic actresses. Um, I think she's right above Claudette Colbert, and I don't know who's um, uh, higher than, than her, other than, of course, it's Catherine Hepburn and uh, Audrey Hepburn and uh, folks like that. And then... Uh, and then you get to number 11, and that's where she's at. But anyway, I hope you enjoy this episode. Kind of a weird 
twist I'm doing here. And please tell me, um, buckbennyotr at gmail.com, whether you like me to do things like this, like last week's, um, I guess this season I'm doing some weird stuff. Anyway, like last week's um, uh, where I attached the Jack Benny episode to the final part of the World Series game from that year. Or like tonight's episode where I'm attaching it to a suspense episode. Um, just to get you uh, a better understanding of what was going on at the time and, and what the episodes are about. Um, I'm hoping you're going to enjoy it anyway. So... Uh, anyway, enjoy Barbara Stanwyck and Jack Benny and Agnes Moorhead uh, having fun, some fun with Sorry, Wrong Number from the Suspense TV uh, radio show. <laughs> In just a moment, Autolite presents Suspense, starring Miss Agnes Moorhead in radio's most famous play, Sorry, Wrong Number. Say hello. Have you seen State's football team? They're terrific. Speaking of terrific teams, Hap, my friend, the one that ignition engineered those Autolite resistor spark plugs is Tops. You know, the Autolite people got together with many of the nation's leading car and truck manufacturers, and they ignition engineered a 10,000-ohm resistor right into the Autolite spark plug that permits a wider spark gap setting and maintains it far longer than was ever possible before. You know what that means to your car? Smooth. That's the word for State's football team. Smooth. Right you are. Smooth. Thanks to the wide gap, Autolite resistor spark plugs help your engine idle smooth as silk. And that's only one of the simple, sound, solid, splendid advantages of those sensational Autolite resistor spark plugs. Gun it all off your chest, Arno? Sure have, Hap. You're not going to hear one more word out of me till we've heard the whole suspense show. No? No middle commercial tonight, Hap. Autolite doesn't want us to interrupt Agnes Moorhead's performance in that famous drama, Sorry, Wrong Number. Okay, Harlow, let's hear suspense. Suspense. Autolite. And its 60,000 dealers and service stations bring you radio's outstanding theater of thrills. Starring tonight, Miss Agnes Moorhead in Anton Leder's production of Lucille Fletcher's famous suspense play, Sorry, Wrong Number. A tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. Operator, I've been dialing Murray Hill 40098 now for the last three quarters of an hour, and the line is always busy. I don't see how it could be busy that long. Will you try it for me, please? I will be glad to try that number for you. One moment, please. I don't see how it could be busy all this time. It's my husband's office. He's working late tonight, and I'm here all alone in the house. My health is very poor, and I've been feeling so nervous all day. Ringing Murray Hill 40098. Hello? Hello, is Mr. Stevenson there? Hello, hello. Uh, hello? 
Hello, George. Yes, sir. This is George speaking. Hello, who's this? What number am I calling, please? I'm here with our client, George. Oh, good. Is uh, everything okay? Is but, the coast uh, who... clear for tonight? Yes, George. He says the coast is clear for tonight. Okay. Okay. Uh, where are you now? In a phone booth. What Don't number worry. Is... Everything's okay. Very well. You uh, know the address. I know, I know. At 11 o'clock, the private patrolman goes around to the bar on 2nd Avenue for a beer. That's right, 11 o'clock. Okay. Now, be sure that all the lights downstairs are out. There should be only one light visible from the street. Okay, okay. Uh, just a minute, George. Oh, uh, our client tells me that at 11.15, a train crosses the bridge. It uh, makes a noise in case her window's open and she should scream. Oh, hello. What number is this, please? Okay, I understand. That's uh, 11.15, the train. Yeah. Uh, you remember everything else, George? Yes. I'll make it quick. As little blood as possible. Because our client does not wish to make her suffer long. That's right. You'll uh, use a knife? Yes. The knife will be okay. Uh, then afterwards, I remove the rings and bracelets and the jewelry in the bureau drawer because... Our client wishes it to look like simple robbery. <laughs> Don't worry. Everything's okay. I never... Oh! Oh, how awful! How unspeakably awful! I... Oh. Your call... Operator, please. I've just been cut off. I'm sorry. What number were you calling? Why, it was supposed to be Murray Hell 40098, but it wasn't. Some wires must have got crossed. I was cut into a wrong number, and I, I've just heard the most dreadful thing, something about a murder, and... Operator, you simply got to retrace that call at once. I beg your pardon. May I help you? Oh, I, I know it was a wrong number, and I had no business listening, but these two men, they were cold-blooded fiends, and they were going to murder somebody, some poor innocent woman who was all alone in a house near a bridge. A and we've got to stop them. We've just got what to. What number are you calling, please? Well, that doesn't matter. This was a wrong number, and you dialed it for me, and we've got to find out who what was immediately. What number did you call? Oh, why are you so stupid? What time is it? Do you mean to tell me you can't find out what that number was just now? I'll connect you with the chief operator. Oh, I think it's perfectly shameful. Now, 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 look, it, it was obviously a case of some little slip of the finger. I told you to try Murray Hill 40098 for me, and you dialed it, but your finger must have slipped, and I was connected with some other number. And I could hear them, but they couldn't hear me. Now, I, I simply fail to see why you couldn't make that same mistake again, on purpose. Why, you couldn't try to dial Murray Hill 40098 in the same sort of careless way. Murray Hill 40098. I will try to get it for you. Well, thank you. I am sorry. Murray Hill 40098 is busy. I will call you in 20... Operator! Minutes. Operator! Your call, police. You didn't try to get that wrong number at all. I asked you explicitly, and all you did was dial correctly. I am sorry. What number are you calling? Well, can't you for once forget what number I'm calling and do something for me? Now, I want to trace that call. It's my civic duty, and it's your civic duty to trace that call and apprehend those dangerous killers. And if you don't... I will connect you with the chief operator. Well, please! All this talk can't make anyone understand this much time.
This is the chief operator. Uh, chief operator, I want you to trace a call, a, a telephone call, immediately. I, I don't know where it came from or who was making it, but it's absolutely necessary that it be tracked down because it was about a murder that someone's planning. A terrible, cold-blooded murder of a poor, innocent woman tonight at 11.15. I see. Well, can you trace it for me? Can you track down those men? I am not certain. It depends. Depends on what? It depends on whether the call is still going on. What? If it's a live call, we can trace it on the equipment. Well, if it has been disconnected, we cannot. Disconnected? If the parties have stopped talking to each other. Oh, but of course they must have stopped talking to each other by now. That was at least five minutes ago, and they didn't sound like the type who would make a long call. Well, I can try tracing it. May I have your name, please? Uh, Mrs. Stevenson. Mrs. Albert Stevenson. But uh, but listen. And your telephone number, please. Uh, uh, Plaza 32099. But if you go on wasting all this time... Why? Why do you want this call traced, please? Why? Oh, d well, no reason. I I mean, I merely felt very strongly that something ought to be done about it. These men sounded like killers. They're, they're dangerous. They're going to murder this woman at 11.15 tonight, and I thought the police ought to know. Have you reported this to the police? Well, d no, not yet. You want this call checked purely as a private individual? Yes, yes, but meanwhile... I am sorry, Mrs. Stevenson, but I am afraid we couldn't make this check for you and trace the call just on your say-so as a private individual. But you... We will have to have something more official. Oh, for heaven's sake. You mean to tell me I can't report that there's going to be a murder without getting tied up in all this red tape? Why, it's, it's perfectly idiotic. Well, all right, I'll call the police. Thank you. I am sure that would be the best way... <coughs> Ridiculous. I never heard of such nonsense. Police department, I, I can't see why you have to go through all this business. Oh. Your call, please. The police department. Get me the police department, please. Thank you. Ringing the police department. Oh, dear, do you have to dial? Can't you ring them direct? All this time wasted. Police Department, Precinct 43, Sergeant Martin speaking. Police Department, um, this is Mrs. Stevenson, Mrs. Albert Smythe Stevenson of 53 North Sutton Place. I'm calling up to report a murder. Huh? I, I mean, the murder hasn't been committed yet, but I just overheard plans for it over the telephone, over a wrong number that the operator gave me. I've been trying to trace down the call myself, but everybody is so stupid, and I guess in the end you're the only people who could do anything. Yes, ma'am. It was a, a perfectly definite murder. I heard their plans distinctly. Two men were talking, and they were going to murder some woman at 11.15 tonight, and she lived in a house near a bridge. Uh, are you listening to me? Uh, uh, yes, yes, ma'am. And there was a private patrolman on the street. He was going to go around for a beer on 2nd Avenue, and there was some third man, a, a client, who was paying to have this poor woman murdered. They were going to take her rings and bracelets and use a knife. Well, it's 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 unnerved me dreadfully, and I'm not well. I'm I very see. Now, no, when was all this, ma'am? About eight minutes ago. Oh, then you can do something. You do you do understand? Uh, what is your name, ma'am? Mrs. Stevenson. Mrs. Albert Stevenson. And your address? Fifty-three, uh, five three North Sutton Place. That's near a bridge. The Queensboro Bridge, you know, and we have a private patrol in our street. And, and 2nd Avenue is and the next street... And what was that number you were calling? Murray Hill 40098. But that wasn't the number I overheard. I mean, Murray Hill 40098 is my husband's office. He's working late tonight, and I was trying to reach him to ask him to come home. Uh, I'm an invalid, you know, and it's the maid's night off, and... I hate to be alone, even though he says I'm perfectly safe as long as I have the telephone right beside my bed. Well, we'll look into it, Mrs. Stevenson.
Johnson. See if we can check it with the telephone company. But the telephone company said they couldn't check the call if the parties had stopped talking. I've already taken care of that. Oh, you have? Yes, and personally, I feel you ought to do something far more immediate and drastic than just check the call. Well, now, What good does checking I... the call do if they stop talking? By the time you tracked it down, they've already committed the murder. Well, we'll take care of it. Don't you worry. I'd say the whole thing calls for a search. A complete and thorough search of the whole city. Why, I'm very near the bridge, and I'm not far from 2nd Avenue, and I know I'd feel a whole lot better if you sent around a radio car to this neighborhood at once. And what makes you think the murder is going to be committed in your neighborhood, ma'am? Well, I... I don't know. Only the coincidence is so horrible. 2nd Avenue and the patrolman and the bridge. Well, 2nd Avenue is a very long street, ma'am, and... Well, you know how many bridges there are in the city of New York, well, alone, not know... to mention Brooklyn, Staten Island, Queens, and the Bronx. <laughs> now, how, how do you know there isn't some little house on Staten Island, on some little Second Avenue you've never heard about? Well, how do you know they were even talking about New York at all? But I heard the call on the New York dialing system. Well, maybe it was a long-distance call you overheard. Oh, I... Telephones are funny things now. Now, look, lady, why don't you look at it this way? Supposing you hadn't broken in on that telephone call. Supposing you'd got your husband the way you always do. You wouldn't be so upset, would you? Well, I know. I suppose not. Only it sounded so inhuman, so cold-blooded. A lot of murders are plotted in this city every day, ma'am. We managed to prevent almost all of them. The clue of this kind is so vague. It isn't much more use to us than no clue at all. But surely you... Unless, of course, you have some reason for thinking this call was phony or, or that someone may be planning to murder you. Me? Oh, it... No, I hardly think so. I, I, I mean, why should anybody? I'm alone all day and night. I, I see nobody except my maid, Eloise, and she's a big girl. She weighs 200 pounds. She's too lazy to bring up my breakfast tray, and, and the only other person is my husband, Albert. He's crazy about me. He just adores me. He waits on me hand and foot. It has scarcely left my side since I took sick 12 years ago. Well, then, there's nothing for you to worry about. Well, I... Now, if you'll just leave the rest of this to us, we'll take care of it. But what will you do? It's so late. It's nearly 11 now. We'll take care of it, lady. Well, will you broadcast it all over the city and, and, and send out squads and warn your radio cars to watch out, especially in suspicious neighborhoods like mine. Lady, I said we'd take care of it. Just now I've got a couple of other matters here on my desk oh. that require immediate attention. Good night, ma'am, and uh, thank you. Oh, you! You idiot! Oh. oh, no. Why did I hang up the phone like that? Now you'll think I am a fool. <laughs> Oh, why doesn't Albert come home? <laughs> why doesn't he? <laughs> I'm the operator again. <laughs> Your call, please. Operator, for heaven's sake, will you ring that Murray Hill 40098 number again? I, I can't think what's keeping him so long. I will try to get it for well, you. Well, try, try. I don't see why he doesn't answer. I'm so <sighs> I am sorry, Murray Hill 40098 is busy. I will call you. I can hear it. You don't have to tell me. I know it's busy. <sighs> oh, if I could only get out of this bed for a little while. If I could get a breath of fresh air and just lean out of the window and see the street. <gasps> Hello, Albert? Hello? What's the matter with this phone? Hello? Hello? 
down and do to me. Oh. Your call, please. Hello, operator. I don't know what's the matter with this phone tonight, but it's positively driving me crazy. I've never seen such inefficient, miserable service. Now, look, look, I'm an invalid. And I'm very nervous, and I'm not supposed to be annoyed. But if this keeps on much longer... What seems to be the trouble? Please. Well, everything's wrong. I haven't had one bit of satisfaction out of one call I've made this evening. The whole world could be murdered for all you people care. And now my phone keeps ringing and ringing and ringing and ringing every five seconds, and when I pick it up, there's no one there. I am sorry. If you will hang up, I will test it for I you. I don't want you to test it for me. I want you to put that call through, whatever it is, at once. I'm afraid I cannot do that. You cannot? Well, why? Why, may I ask? The dial system is automatic. Oh, I... If someone is trying to dial your number, there is no way to check whether the call is coming through the system or not. Oh, I... Unless the person is trying to reach you, complains to his particular operator. Oh, of all the stupid... And meanwhile, I've got to sit here in my bed, suffering every time that phone rings, imagining everything. I will try to check the troubles check for it. you. Check it. That's all anybody can do. Oh, what's the use of talking to you? You're so stupid. Oh, I'll fix her. Of all the impudent... How dare she speak to me like that? How dare she speak to me? Young woman, I don't know your name, but there are ways of finding you out. And I'm going to report you to your superiors for the most unpardonable rudeness and insolence it has ever been my privilege. Give me the business office at once. You may dial that number direct. Dial it direct? I'll do no such thing. I don't even know the number. The number is in the directory, or you may secure it by dialing information. Listen here, you... Oh, what's the use? Dear. Oh, for heaven's sake, I'm going out of my mind. I'm going out of my mind. Hello? Hello, stop ringing me. Do you hear? Answer me. Who is this? Do you realize you're driving me crazy? Who's calling me? What are you doing it for? Now stop it. Stop it. Stop it, I say. Hello? If you don't stop ringing me, I'm going to call the police. Do you hear? The police. <laughs> if Albert would only come home. Oh, let it ring. Let it go on ringing. It's a trick of some kind. I won't answer it. I won't even if it goes on ringing all night. Just ring all night. I don't... <laughs> What's the matter? Why did they stop ringing all of a sudden? Oh, what time is it? Where's my clock? Where is it? Where did I put it? Five to eleven. Oh, they've decided something. They're sure I'm home. They heard my voice answer them just now. That's why they've been ringing me. Why no one is answering me. Call Call the operator again. Oh, oh where? Oh, where is she? Why doesn't she answer? Your call, oh. please. Where were you just now? Why didn't you answer at once? Give me the police department. I am sorry. The line is busy. I will call you. Busy? But that's impossible. The police department can't be busy. There must be other lines available. The lion is busy. I will try to get them later. No, no. I've got to speak to them now or it may be too late. I've got to get to someone. What number do you wish to speak to? Please? Well, I don't know, but there must be someone to protect people beside the police department. A uh, detective agency. You will some... find detective agencies listed in the classified directory. But I don't have a classified... I mean, I'm too nervous to look it up, and I don't know how to use it. I will connect you with information 
Perhaps they will be able to help you. Oh, no, no. <laughs> oh, you're being spiteful, aren't you? You don't care, do you, what happens to me? <laughs> I could die and you wouldn't care. <laughs> oh, stop it. Stop it. I can't stand anymore. Hello, what do you want? Stop ringing, will you? Stop it. Hello, is this Plaza 32099? Oh. Yes. Yes, I'm sorry. This is Plaza 32099. Uh, this is Western Union. I have a telegram here for uh, Mrs. Elbert Stevenson. Is there anyone there to receive the message? Uh, I am Mrs. Stevenson. Uh, the telegram is as follows. Mrs. Elbert Stevenson, 53 North Sutton Place, New York, New York, darling. Terribly sorry. Try to get you for last hour, but line busy. Leaving for Boston, 11 p.m. tonight on urgent business. Oh. Back tomorrow afternoon. Keep happy. Love, signed Elbert. Oh, no. You wish us to deliver a copy of the message? No. No, thank you. Thank you, madam. Good night. Good night. <laughs> no. Oh, I don't believe it. He couldn't do it. He couldn't do it, not when he knows I'll be all alone in some trick, some fiendish trick. Your call, please. Operator, try that Murray Hill 40098 number for me just once more, please. You may dial that number direct. Oh. M. U. I'm alone one more second, I'll go mad. <laughs> I don't care what he says or, or what the expense is. I'm a sick woman. I'm entitled to some consideration. <laughs> this is information. May I help you? I want the telephone number of Henchley Hospital. Henchley Hospital? Do you have the street address? No, it, it's somewhere in the 70s. It's a very small, private, and exclusive hospital where I had my appendix out two years ago. Henchley, H-E-N-C-H... One moment, please. Uh, please hurry. And, and please, what is the time? You may find out the time by dialing Meridian 71212. Oh. Oh, for heaven's sake, I have no time to be dialing. The number of Henchley Hospital is Butterfield <laughs> 8... Nine, nine, seven, oh. You. Hospital, good evening. Uh, give me the nurse's registry. Who was it you wish to speak to, please? I want the nurse's registry at once. I want a trained nurse. I want to hire immediately for the night. I see. And what is the nature of the case, madam? Nerves. I'm very nervous. I, I need soothing and companionship. You see, my husband is away, and I'm all... Have you been recommended to us by any doctor in particular, madam? No, but I really don't see why all this catechizing is necessary. I want a trained nurse. I was a patient in your hospital two years ago, and after all, I do expect to pay this person for attending me. We quite understand that, madam. But registered nurses are very scarce just but... now. 
Our superintendent has asked us to send people out only on cases where the physician in charge feels it is absolutely necessary. Well, it is absolutely necessary. I'm, I'm a sick woman. I'm, I'm very upset. Very. I, I'm alone in this house and I'm an invalid and, and tonight I overheard a telephone conversation that upset me dreadfully. A woman's going to be killed when a train comes. In fact, if someone doesn't come at once, I'm afraid I'll go out of my mind. I see. Well, I will speak to Miss Phillips as soon as she comes in. Miss And what is your name, madam? When do you expect her in? I really couldn't say. She went out to supper at 11 o'clock. 11 o'clock? Oh, but it's not 11 yet. Oh, oh, my clock has stopped. I thought it was running down. What time is it? Just, um, 15 minutes past 11. What was that? What was what, madam? That, That click... Just now, in my own telephone, as though someone had lifted the receiver off the hook, off the extension telephone downstairs. I didn't hear it, madam. Now about but this I nurse. Did. I did. There's someone in this house, someone downstairs in the kitchen, and they're listening to me now. That is. Oh, I, I won't pick it up again. I won't let them hear me. I'll, I'll be quiet, and then they'll tell me. Oh, but if I don't call someone now while they're still down there, there'll be no time. I've got to get that operator. Oh, answer. Your call, please. Operator, operator, I'm I'm in desperate trouble. I I am sorry, I, I cannot hear you. Please speak louder. I I don't dare. I there's someone listening. Can you hear me now? I am sorry. Oh, but you've got to hear me. Oh, please, please, you've got to help me. There's there's someone in this house. Someone who's going to murder me. And and you've got to get in touch with the police. Oh, oh there, there it is. Did you hear it? He's put it down. He's put down the extension phone. He's coming up the... He's coming up the stairs. Oh, give me the police department. Give me the police department. One moment, please. I will connect you. Oh, hurry. Hurry. Oh, hurry. I can hear him. He's coming. He's coming here. Oh. Oh, no. Oh, what are you going to do to me? Oh, no. Oh, no. Don't don't come near me. I haven't done anything, please. I don't know anything. No. No. Sergeant Martin speaking. Hello, Police Department, Precinct 43. Sergeant Martin speaking. Police Department? Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Must have got the wrong number. Don't worry. Everything's okay. Thank you, Miss Agnes Moorhead, for another memorable performance. Miss Moorhead will return in just a moment. Say, Harlow, you got so wound up on Autolite Resistor spark plugs a while back, you never told me whether you saw the state football game last week. You bet I saw it. And say, did you notice the big gaps that state knocked in that enemy line? Yes. Reminded me of that wide gap in Autolite Resistor spark plugs. Now, Harlow. You know, when you replace your old narrow gap spark plugs with wide gap Autolite Resistor spark plugs, 
Why, Cornelius, your engine idles smoother. You have better luck with lean gas mixtures. Actually save gas. Carlo, I'm talking about football. Oh, by the way, how'd you like the way State's line cut down enemy interference? Great. Almost as good as the way Autolite resistor spark plugs cut down spark plug interference with radio and television reception. What a team. What a team. Yes, friends, when it comes to team play, you really get it with those sensational new Autolite resistor spark plugs. Another Autolite engineering first. And no wonder, for Autolite resistor spark plugs are one of over 400 automotive, aviation, and marine parts made by the 26 nationwide Autolite plants. All famous for Autolite-engineered dependability. So, friends, don't dilly-dally, dawdle, or delay, but hop down tomorrow to your friendly Autolite dealer and get a set of wonderful new wide-gap Autolite resistor spark plugs. He's got just the type and size to fit your car. And, friends, remember, too... Autolite means spark plugs. Ignition-engineered resistor spark plugs. Autolite means batteries. Stay full batteries. Autolite means ignition system. The lifeline of your car. And now here again is Miss Agnes Moorhead. My thanks to producer Tony Leader for affording me this opportunity to play Lucille Fletcher's wonderful story once again. And my thanks to the cast and the musicians and sound men who helped make it successful. The suspense program will always hold a special place in my affections. And I'll be listening with great interest next Thursday when radio's outstanding theater of thrills brings us little Margaret O'Brien starring in Ray Bradbury's story, The Screaming Woman. Another gripping study in... Suspense. Agnes Moorhead has recorded Sorry, Wrong Number in album form. Miss Moorhead may currently be seen in the Warner Brothers picture, Johnny Belinda. Music on tonight's suspense play was composed by Lucian Morawieck and conducted by Lud Bluskin. The entire production was under the direction of Anton M. Leader. In the coming weeks, suspense will present such stars as Ronald Coleman, Rosalind Russell, Claude Rains, and William Bendix. Make it a point to listen each Thursday to Suspense, radio's outstanding theater of thrills. And next Thursday, same time, hear Margaret O'Brien in... The Screaming Woman. This is the Autolite Suspense Show. Volunteers are needed for the armed forces of the United States. Your nearest recruiting station will have complete information. Good night. Switch to Autolite. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. American. Lucky Strike, first again with Tobacco Men. More independent tobacco experts smoke Lucky Strike regularly than the next two leading brands combined. A recent impartial survey reveals this overwhelming smoking preference of the men who really know tobacco. The independent auctioneers, buyers, and warehousemen. Remember, at market after market, these experts can see the makers of Lucky Strike consistently select and buy that fine, that light, that naturally mild tobacco. And they, for their own personal smoking enjoyment, choose Lucky Strike. So light up a Lucky yourself, and puff by puff, you'll see. L-S-M-F-T, L-S-M-F-T. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco, and this fine Lucky Strike tobacco means real deep-down smoking enjoyment for you. Yes, you'll like Lucky Strike. (laughs) 
Lucky Strike program starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Rochester, Dennis Day, and yours truly, Don Wilson. Ladies and gentlemen, it is usually our custom to take you to Jack Benny's home in Beverly Hills. But at the moment, Jack is taking a bath, so we'll take you to Mary Livingston's house instead. Oh, Pauline. Yes, Miss Livingston? Uh, you can have the rest of the evening off. I have a date tonight. We may go to a movie. Oh, that's nice. Or we may go to a nightclub. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm going with Mr. Benny. Oh. I know what you mean, Pauline, but I haven't been out with Mr. Benny since we got back from Europe. Gee, I'll bet your trip to England would have been a complete fizzle if it hadn't been for Phil Harris. <laughs> <laughs> you still have a crush on Phil, haven't you, Pauline? Uh-huh. Did you get to act with Mr. Harris at the Palladium? Yes, we did one sketch together, and at the end of the scene, he kissed me. Oh! Tell me, Miss Livingston, what's it like when Phil Harris kisses you? It's like being slapped in the face with a bar rag. <laughs> well, I wouldn't care. I think Mr. Harris is the most... Hello, Miss Livingston's resident. May I speak to Miss Livingston, please? This is Barbara Stanwyck. Sandwich. Oh, thank you, Pauline. Hello, Barbara. Hello, Mary. I called you because Bob has a conference at the studio tonight, and I'm having a few girls over for bridge. Would you like to join us? Oh, I'd love to, Barbara. But I promised Jack I'd go out with him tonight. Oh, then you're going to see my picture. Sorry, wrong number. Well, how do you know? Jack just called me for passes. Yes, and tomorrow night, Jack's taking you to see Loves of Carmen. Well, what makes you so sure? He asked me for Rita Hayworth's phone number. <laughs> oh. No wonder I've never seen any of Lassie's pictures. She hasn't got a phone. <laughs> anyway, Barbara, you shouldn't have given Jack those passes. Well, I was going to turn him down, but when he came over to pick them up, he said he'd tell a joke on his program, plugging my picture. Oh, fine. Did he tell you the joke? Yes, it was a dilly about two termites who get indigestion from eating bad wood. Sorry, wrong lumber. If he tells that gag in the program, I'll punch him right in the nose. I already did. You know, Mary, Jack can be so corny. I can't understand why you go out with him all the time. Oh, he isn't so bad, Barbara. I'll, I'll admit Jack may not be the handsomest man in the world, but... He's not the homeliest. Well, no. He may not be the wittiest, but he's not the dullest. No, I guess not. And he may not be the most generous, but... Shall we dance? <laughs> oh, anyway, Barbara Jack isn't so bad. No, I guess you're right, Mary. He did bring Bob a nice present from Paris. A beautiful, bright yellow beret. A yellow beret? Yeah, Bob wore it yesterday at the studio. Oh, I bet it was a riot. No, but it started one. <laughs> what happened? Phone or no phone, Lassie chased him up a tree. 
Well, imagine giving Bob a beret. Say, Barbara, did Jack bring you anything from Europe? No, but I'm awfully glad he's back. You are? Nobody can do rough dry like he does. <laughs> well, you can thank me, too. I help on my days off. Well, I'm sorry you can't come over tonight, Mary, but I hope you like my picture. Oh, I'm sure I will. And maybe we can get together next week. Goodbye, Barbara. Bye. Well, I'm all ready to go to the movies. Hand me my umbrella, will you, Pauline? Miss Livingston, it stopped raining. I know, but you've never sat next to Mr. Benny when he's eating popcorn. <laughs> well, he should be here in a few minutes. Here's your dessert, Mr. Benny. Ah, strawberry shortcake with whipped cream. You better eat it fast or you'll be late for the movies. I know, I know. Roxas, look at me. Do you think I need a shave? Well... Yes and no. What do you mean, yes and no? After the movies, if you take Miss Livingston home, by the way, at Wiltshire Boulevard, no. Griffith Park, yes. <laughs> I'm not going by way of Griffith Park. My car's too old for that. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm almost through. I'm almost through eating. Say, boss, before you leave, I better put a patch over that slow leak in your rubber cushion. Why? Last time you went to the movies, you kept sinking lower and lower, and Miss Livingston thought you were unhappy with the picture. Oh, yeah. Well, put a piece of adhesive on the leak or some scotch tape. I mean, fix it up any old way. Any old way? <laughs> Rochester. Rochester, that echo again. Didn't you hear it? No, boss, I didn't hear a thing. That's funny. I wonder if I'm just imagining it. Oh, well. Here's the plate, Rochester. I finished my dessert. Just a minute, boss. Let me look at you again. Yeah, I'll go get the razor and shave you. Shave me? Yeah, you've got so much whipped cream on your face, it'd be a shame just to wipe it off. <laughs> Never mind. I'll use my napkin. Now, lay out a suit for me, will you, Rochester? Okay. Oh, by the way, Mr. Benny, Dennis Day came over a little while ago, and he said he wanted to see you. Oh, well, why didn't you tell me? Dennis! Dennis! Here I am, Mr. Benny. Oh. Ah, hello, kid. Hello. Say, Mr. Benny, I don't know why people rave so much about television. What programs? Eh, I've been sitting here watching it for three hours, and all they've shown is that ocean picture. All you can see is the waves splashing up against the screen. Dennis, you're looking at the Bendix. <laughs> the television's in the other room. Now, what, uh, what did you want to see me about? Well, my mother had to go to a club meeting, and she won't be back till late, so she told me to come over here so I won't get into mischief. Mischief? Dennis, you're old enough to take care of yourself. No, I'm not. Last week when my mother left me alone, it was terrible. What? I was sitting there getting bored. I wanted some excitement, so I stuck my head in the mixmaster. <laughs> you stuck your head in the mixmaster? That's the craziest thing I've ever heard of. If you've never tried it, don't knock it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Look, kid, from what you told me, I'm not going to leave you alone in my house either. Now, you better come with Mary and me. We're going to see Sorry, Wrong Number. With Barbara Stanwyck? <laughs> Dennis, I don't blame you, though. She, she's a wonderful actress. I don't know, she's so realistic. You know, so vibrant. So, so... So, Leonie. <laughs> Dennis. Dennis, you heard that echo, didn't you? No. Do you still keep hearing it, Mr. Benny? Yes, and I don't know how to get rid of it. 
I don't know what to do. Why don't you stick your head in the mix, Master? <laughs> oh, stop. Now, Dennis, while I'm changing my clothes, run, run over the song you're going to do on the program, will you? Okay. Dennis, come on, we'll pick up Mary and go to the movies. Well, kids, here we are at the theater. Come on, Dennis. Uh-oh. What's the matter, Jack? See, there are three of us, and I've only got two passes. Hmm. <laughs> now, uh, let me see. Shall I kill myself? No! I'll figure out something. Jack, you ought to be ashamed of yourself asking Barbara Stanwyck for passes. Oh, I don't know, Mary. I gave her passes to my picture. For your picture, they were dropping tickets from airplanes. <laughs> I didn't mind the tickets, but I got hit on the head with a dish. Uh, <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> well, I'll go over and buy Dennis's ticket. Uh, wait here for me. Gee, Dennis, you'll love Sorry Wrong Number. It's so Tense and exciting. It is? Yeah. All through the picture, Barbara Stanwyck tries to use the telephone. And by accident, the wires get crossed and she hears two men plotting her own murder. Gee. Well, come on, let's go. I got your ticket, Dennis. And Dennis, as we go in, hold my hand and call me Daddy. <laughs> come on. Tickets, please. Here you are. Jack, I want to sit in the loges. Loges? These passes are for general admission. The loges will be an extra 60 cents. Oh. Well, 
Daddy, get your hand out of my pocket. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. How much did you say that was, mister? Oh, I gave it to him already. Oh. Well, let's go in. Imagine a big star like Barbara Stanwyck couldn't get me low seats. <laughs> Come on. Will you? Hot dogs, scorecards, pennants. Get your football pennants here. We have both teams, UCLA and Stanford pennants. Wait a minute, bud. This is a theater. What's the idea of selling football pennants? For the newsreel. Pennants! Get your pennants here. Hot dogs, scorecards, cushions, soft cushions. Oh, you brought your own, huh, bud? Yes. Come on, Jack. Immediate seating. Third aisle to your right, please. Come on, kids. This aisle to the right, right here. Here, I'll open the door, Mary. Gosh, the picture started already. Yeah, here are three seats over here. Get in, Dennis. Operator! 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 Oh, what's the matter with this phone anyway? Operator, please, please, can't you hear me? I must get my husband's office. Operator! Operator, why can't I get the operator? She can't even get loge seats. <laughs> Quiet. Operator. Number, please. Oh, thank goodness. Operator, I've been trying to get Murray Hill 35097 for the last half hour, and the line is always busy. Will you ring it for me, please? One moment, please. It's my husband's office. He should have been home hours ago, and I don't know what's keeping him or why that ridiculous line should be busy. Ringing Murray Hill 35097. That line is busy. Busy, busy, busy. That's all I've been getting. It can't be busy. They've got a switchboard there. Why doesn't somebody answer? Why? Why? Gosh, isn't Barbara wonderful? Yeah, she's beautiful, too. You ought to see her husband in a yellow beret. <laughs> Damn it. Operator. Operator, try that number again, please. Murray Hill 35097. Just a moment, please. Ringing Murray Hill 35097. Oh, my God, it's ringing. It's ringing. Hello? Hello, Mr. Stevenson, please. Hello. I want to talk to Mr. Henry Stevenson, please. Hello. Hello, George, speaking. Who is this? What number have I got? It's all set, George, just like we planned it, and we do it tonight. That's good. I'm ready, and the coast is clear. Oh, those men, what are they talking about? I must have the wrong line. Get off the line, please. Get off the line. Hold that line. Dennis. <laughs> Dennis, put down that pennant. The, the newsreel isn't on yet. Jack, be quiet. Operator. Operator, you cut me in on somebody else's conversation. I want Murray Hill 35097. Now, look, George, I don't want to slip up on this. Want me to use a gun? No, that's too noisy. Strangler. Operator. Operator. Number, please. Operator, listen to me. I just heard two men talking. They're plotting a murder.
picture that was. Yeah, I thought it was very good. Oh, and what a finish. When she found out those two men on the telephone were actually plotting her murder. Yeah, but that's the only part, Mary, that wasn't believable. Imagine the coincidence of just picking up the phone and hearing two men plotting your own murder. I don't know. It was, it was too far-fetched. It was not. I agree with Daddy. <laughs> Dennis, you can stop calling me that now. Anyway, Mary, I, I must admit that I enjoyed watching the picture, but in real life, a thing like that couldn't happen. Oh, it couldn't, eh? Well, look after you last year when you were worried about your option. And you tried to get your sponsor, Mr. Riggio, on the phone. Look, Mary. What was it, Mary? What happened? I'll tell you what happened. It was last May, near the end of the season. And Jack was a nervous wreck. <laughs> Busy, busy, busy. It can't be busy all this time. <laughs> operator, operator. <laughs> Quiet, Polly. Operator, operator. I'm sorry, that line is busy. Listen, operator, I've been trying to get that number for the last 20 minutes. It's my sponsor's office. They have a switchboard there. I'm sorry, the line is busy. It can't be busy. I've been, I've been ringing that number since 25 after 11. Do you know what time it is now? Well, the correct time, dial Ulrich, 8900. I know what time it is. Look, look, operator. I'm Jack Benny. I have a radio program. My option comes up at 12 o'clock today. If I don't hear from my sponsor, Mr. Riggio, in 15 minutes, I'll be out of a job. Now, get me Hollywood, 7337. 7337. Quiet, Polly. <laughs> Polly, here's a cracker. And eat it slowly. It may be your last. <laughs> Operator. I'm ringing the number. Good. I know it can't be busy. I'm sure there must be something wrong with you. It's ringing. It's ringing. Hello? 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 Is that you, Mr. Riggio? Mr. Riggio. That's my sponsor. Mr. Riggio. This is me, Jack Benny. Hello, Frank. They can't hear me. The wires must be crossed. Well, Frank, I've given the matter a great deal of thought, and I've decided to let him go. Oh, I see. Well, it's going to be quite a shock to him. He's been with us a long time. I know, Frank, but he's had it coming. His work has fallen off so badly, it isn't funny anymore. Yay! <laughs> They're talking about me. Mr. Riggio. Operate! Well, Mr. Riggio, don't you think you ought to warn him and then give him another chance? Yeah, yeah. It might be difficult to replace him. That's right. Tell him, Frank. Tell him. Nice boy, Frank. Nice boy. Tell him. No, tell Frank. Him. I've made up my mind. I think we should look for a younger man. Younger? Well, I'm only 39. <laughs> you, you didn't think I was old five years ago when I was 38. You, you've, got to, you've got to listen to me. So you, you don't think warning him would do any good, eh, Mr. Riggio? No, no. He's had his chance. Mr. Riggio. Mr. Riggio, please. Frank had a swell idea. Warn me. Give me another chance. I might be difficult to replace. Mel Blanc has five shows. So he couldn't even try Well, to... all right, Mr. Riggio. It isn't going to be easy, but I'll tell him. I've been cut off. Operator! 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 Number, please. Operator, I want Hollywood 7337. Will you please get it for me? You may dial that number direct. But I've been dialing all morning. My finger is so swollen it won't fit in the hole. One moment, please. I will try that number for you. Thank you. Thank you. Only five minutes. Only five minutes to go. 
If I could only talk to Mr. Riggio. If I could plead with him, beg him, like I did last year. <laughs> Maybe I could talk him into giving me another... Sorry, that line is busy. Busy, busy, busy! What am I going to do? I got to think fast. Hmm, it's four minutes to 12. Wait a minute, I know. I'll call my agent. That's it, my agent. Why am I paying him 9%? <laughs> I'll try it. I'll try it. That might, that might be Mr. Riggio. Oh, hello? Hello, is that you, Edna? <laughs> Edna? This is Johnny McGuire. I just got off my ship. Haven't seen a woman in three years. You're the first one I called. You, you must have the wrong number. Ah, uh, don't give me that, Edna. I recognize your voice right away. <laughs> but, but I... Come on, Edna. Let you and me step out tonight. I'll buy you a nice big dinner. I'm telling you, you have the wrong... Dinner? <laughs> no, no. What am I thinking of? No. Then he'd walk... I'm sorry, you have the wrong number. <laughs> I were. I wish I were, Edna. At least then I'd know. Oh, my goodness. Only three minutes to 12. No time to call my agent now. I gotta get Mr. Riggio. Maybe he hasn't signed anybody else yet. I'll tell him I'll do anything he asks me. Anything. I'll let him cut my salary. This year I'll suggest it myself. <laughs> Why not? The line's clear. It's not busy. I still have time. This is Hollywood, 7337. Get me, get me Mr. Riggio, quick. This is Jack Benton. Mr. Riggio is busy on another line. Will you call back? No, no, no. I'll hold on. I've only got three minutes. Hello? 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 Is that you, Mr. Riggio? <laughs> oh, it's you, Bob. Shut your big mouth. Hello? What's that? Mr. Riggio. Mr. Riggio, I wasn't talking to you. It was my parrot. This is Jack Benny. Hello again. Hello again. Oh, well, Jack, I'm glad you called. I want to talk Mr. to Mr. Riggio, you. please. Before you say anything, listen to me. You got to hear my side of it. I know I've been on the air a long time, but I'm not true yet. Honest, I'm not. There's still a few good years left in me. And I want you to have it. But Jack... L-A-S-M-F-T! L-A-S-M-F-T! But Jack, Let me strike Jack. these lines of battle. So round, so firm, so fully packed. So free and easy on the draw. Jack! They're first again with tobacco men. What? La, 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 la. La, 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 la. What's the matter with you? Look, I know I've made mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. I mean, everybody but you, Mr. Miguel. Mr. Miguel. And I've done everything you've asked me to. Last year, I kept my eye on the red bullseye till it was bloodshot. <laughs> Mr. Riggio, Mr. Riggio, you've got to listen to me. Jack, what are you so upset about? We have no intention of letting you go. But you don't understand, Mr. <laughs> what? You mean... You mean you're going to pick up my option? Why, certainly. I've been trying to call you all morning. Your phone's been busy. <laughs> My phone busy? Oh. Oh. Tell me, Jack. Whatever gave you the idea, we wouldn't take up your option. Well, well, Mr. Riggio, I, I called you a few minutes ago, and the, the wires got crossed. Yeah, I heard you talking to a man named Frank. Frank? Oh, yes. He's my office manager. Well, I, I overheard you telling him to let somebody go, that you, that you didn't want him anymore. Oh, yes, yes. We had to discharge him. He was a bookkeeper. Very incompetent. The bookkeeper? Oh. <laughs> the, the bookkeeper? Well. Well, Mr. Riggio, if the, 
the man wasn't doing his work, what else could you do? I mean, it's not your fault. He isn't capable. There's no place for sentiment in business. That's what I like about you, Mr. Riggio. You don't let your heart rule your head. That bookkeeper got what was coming to him. I don't believe in a man whining and trying to hang on to a job when he's not wanted. <laughs> I agree with you. If a man fails to deliver, let him go. Get rid of him, I say. Fire him. Ladies and gentlemen, travel on our highways is increasing. It is now 11% above pre-war peak. So when traveling, obey the law. Don't take a chance and be careful. The life you save may be your own. <laughs> Jack will be back in just a moment, but first... A recent impartial survey covering all the southern tobacco markets reveals Lucky Strike. First again with tobacco men. Yes, more independent tobacco experts smoke Lucky Strike regularly than the next two leading brands combined. Excuse me, but who are these tobacco experts? They're the men who really know tobacco, the independent auctioneers, buyers, and warehousemen. And it's important for you to know that more of these independent tobacco experts smoke Lucky Strike regularly than the next two leading brands combined. You've heard the survey results. Now, hear what Mr. Charles L. Belvin, independent tobacco buyer, who's attended more than 2,000 tobacco auctions recently said. Season after season, I've seen the makers of Lucky Strike buy good, ripe, mild tobacco. Fine tobacco that makes one swell smoke. I've smoked Lucky 16 years. A Lucky Strike smoker for 16 years. And remember, Mr. Belvin, like you, looks to the cigarette he smokes for enjoyment. Real, deep-down, smoking enjoyment. So light up a Lucky yourself, and puff by puff, you'll see. L-S-M-F-T... L-S-M-F-T. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco, and this fine Lucky Strike tobacco means a really enjoyable smoke for you. Yes, you'll like Lucky Strike. Ladies and gentlemen, <clears throat> stay tuned in for the Phil Harris Alice Faye show, which follows immediately. And on Saturday, be sure to listen to A Day in the Life of Dennis Day. I want to thank Miss Barbara Stanwyck for being with us on the program tonight and for the passes. And, uh... And, uh... And, Rita, I couldn't get you on the phone, so send three, please. <laughs> now, to my friends in San Francisco, I'll be seeing you at the Opera House on Friday, October 22nd, at the Friars Frolic for the Variety Club Benefit. Oh, you're going to San Francisco, eh, Jack? Uh-huh. Oh. You going to go by plane? By plane? Well, no. Oh, no. then you're going on the train. The train? No. No, no, ma'am. Oh, then you're going to drive your car. No. No, you see, I made a deal with a fellow who's going that way. <laughs> oh, you're going to share expenses. No, all I have to do is help him unload the oranges. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Good health to all from Rexall. Yes, it's Sunday, time for the Phil Harris Alice Fay Show, presented by the makers of Rexall Drug Products and your Rexall family druggist. Good evening. 
This is your Rexall family druggist with some especially good news. Next Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, we Rexall druggists are having our famous one-cent sale. Most of you already know what that four-day sale can do for the family budget, but in case you don't, here's how it works. On those four days at every store that has the orange and blue Rexall sign in the window, you can get two famous guaranteed Rexall products for the price of one, plus one cent. That's right, twice as much for only a penny more. Now, these savings apply to 279 different items, all the way from antiseptics to toothpaste, from cold cream to cough syrup, from aspirin to shampoos. And remember, these are Rexall products, and you can depend on any drug product that bears the Rexall name. Good health to all from Rexall. And now your Rexall family druggist brings you the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show, written by Ray Singer and Dick Chevrolet, with Elliot Lewis, Walter Tetley, Robert North, Janine Roos, Anne Whitfield, Walter Scharf and his music, yours truly, Bill Foreman, and starring Alice Faye and Phil Harris. Contrary to popular belief, Phil Harris is a hard-working conductor who demands perfection from his orchestra. Right now, we find him in the library of his home, rehearsing one of his musicians. <clears throat> Look, um, you still haven't got it. Now, I know you're new with my band, but you've got to learn to do things my way. That's what I like about the South. It's traditional with me, and it's got to be played in a certain tempo. Now, let's try it my way once. I'll give you the introduction. Bah. Won't you come with me to a... No! No, ladies! No, ladies! No! Ladies, please! No, I guess I was wrong. You can't play the harp my way. Put on your shoes and try it with your hands again. Why does Remley hire people like this? I can't understand. He knows very well. Phil! Phil, would you please come in here a minute? Okay, honey. Uh, look, lady, if you're going to accompany me when I sing, you gotta do it right. Now look, I'll be right back. You stay here and keep practicing on that cabbage shredder. <laughs> Just to think that I think I'm stuck with this dame for a whole year. Why did Frankie have Phil, to do it? I've got to talk to you about Phyllis. She won't eat her lunch. Won't eat? No. Why not? Well, she has a boyfriend. A boyfriend? Well, at long last. <laughs> you know, I was getting kind of worried about her. She's five years old and she hasn't had a date yet. <laughs> oh, Phil, be serious. I've tried to get her to eat, but she won't listen I'll to handle me. it, honey. It takes a father to get a... I'll get the kid to listen. When I tell her something, she knows who's talking. Don't worry. Hey, Phyllis! Yes, Calvin? <laughs> Look, Phyllis, I want... Calvin? Who's Calvin? He's the man I'm going to marry. Oh, him. I... What? <laughs> Calvin and I are being engaged today. All right, that'll keep. Now, you sit down and eat. 
I can't eat, Father. My little curly head can't think of food when my heart is so full of love. <laughs> oh, no. My little curly head can't think of food when my heart is so full of love. <laughs> Where'd she ever get anything that corny? <laughs> Out of one of the old love letters you wrote to me. <laughs> it is corny, isn't it? Well, from a child, yes. <laughs> from me, it sounds kind of cute. <laughs> Phil, we've got to get Phyllis to eat. She'll eat when she gets hungry. I'm worried about her boor- boyfriend. Well, he's a bore to me already. <laughs> and I'm worried about it. Where'd she meet him? What's he like? Who's his family? Is his father on the same intellectual level as I am? <laughs> What does the old man do? He's an associate professor of zoology at UCLA Zoology, huh? Well, it it isn't fair to look down on him because of his job (laughs) After all, somebody has to feed the animals Well, Phil, he's a college professor And his son, Calvin, is a very nice little boy Phyllis brought him in and introduced him to me the other day Oh, she did, huh? Mm -hmm. Well, why why didn't she introduce him to me? Who's the man in this house? Who runs things around here? Who's been supporting this family for the last eight years? Wait! (laughs) I better revamp that (laughs) No, but the least my daughter can do Is to introduce her boyfriend to her father What's the matter? Is she ashamed of me? Oh, Phil, don't be so touchy. She just brought him in and... Come to think of it, she made sure you weren't around before she brought him in. Well, when a daughter's ashamed of her own father, a man has reached the end of his tether. (laughs) Oh, Phil. Well, if I wasn't such a nasset to mankind, I'd destroy myself. (laughs) I never heard of anything like it, Alice, and I'm hurt. I never felt worse in my life. Good morning, Philip. <laughs> that ain't gonna help either. Hello, Alice, dear. I just met Phyllis and she introduced me to a boyfriend. Isn't he cute, Philip? I wouldn't know. Mm, he's a fine little fellow that. Uh, uh, what's his name? Calvert. <laughs> Well, I wouldn't know (laughs) I haven't been introduced to him You haven't? Well, what reason would Phyllis have for not introducing him to you? I don't know It it seems that she's ashamed of me Oh, of course What do you mean? (laughs) What's she got to be ashamed of me for? Is she ashamed because I'm a musician? Is she ashamed of the way I talk? Is she ashamed of the way I dress? Now look, Casper (laughs) There ain't nothing wrong with me being a musician I talk as good as anybody And I dress impeccably Phil, 
maybe it is your clothes she objects to. Only yesterday I found her in your closet looking at your wardrobe and shaking her head. But why? I could understand it if I was a loud dresser. I don't own a single loud garment. Oh, now look, even you must admit that some of the clothes you brought back from London are outlandish. Well, wait a minute now. Just a minute. You're going a little too far. I'm proud of my English clothes. Including that double-breasted vest you got over there? (laughs) (laughs) Vest? Oh, I say, old girl, you must be referring to my waistcoat. (laughs) You Americans are so droll. Oh, no. We spent two weeks in London and... Oh, excuse me. Wait a minute now. Just wait a minute. I want to talk to you. And Alice, Alice, come back here. Sorry, Governor. I've got me work to do, you know. The nerve of her ridiculing my beautiful red and yellow plaid waistcoat. <laughs> Why, it's the pride of my wardrobe. Hey, tell me the truth, Willie. Did you ever see anything like it? Yes, once when I was at the slaughterhouse, I saw them both... Never mind! <laughs> Take your umbrella and rubbers and go home. I can't understand why Phyllis avoids me. I'm a pal to her. Last night before she went to sleep, I told her the story of the Jabberwocky bird from Alice in Wonderland. What's that? Curl up in the fireplace and I'll tell it to you. (laughs) One time there was a mountaineer who felt so mighty brave that he took his trusty gun and went to a dark, dark cave. The reason for his venture was a story that he'd heard about a bad, ferocious creature called the Jabberwocky Bird. Now, when he got into that dreary cave, our hunter saw a sight. The Jabberwocker had seven heads and each one was a fright. He turned around and headed home, running all the way. And then to all the folks who waited there, the mountaineer did say, was really gander slyly toasted gyre and gimble in the wave. Oh, Mimsy were the border groves and the moory raps out grave. Oh, frabjous day, calucalay, and from your bandersnatch. My aim was spoiled by seven heads, but that bird I will catch. Then back again into the cave that mountaineer did go. But how he'd finally get that bird, he really didn't know. This time the mountaineer was armed with knives and traps and bait. He had to catch that jabberwocker, meet a sorry fate. Inside the cave, that gruesome bird confronted him once more. The mountaineer had seven fits and fell to the floor. He offered up a hasty prayer and murmured, it's the end. But seven jabberwockies said, can't we please be friends? They brilliged in the slyly tove and gyre and gibber in the wave. We'll mimsy in the boar groves and the mommy rats out grave. Oh, frab just day, calucalay, and from your bandersnatch. The mountaineer said, you mean we're pals? And seven heads said, natch. Now the mountaineer just shook his head. He couldn't trust his ears. The jabberwockies' seven pairs of eyes were filled with tears. The ugly bird broke down and sobbed. The witch made me like this. And jabberwocky, I must be until a man I kiss. The mountaineer could not resist that bird's unhappy plea. He bravely puckered up his lips and said, you'll soon be free. They kissed and seven heads became just one of golden curls. The ugly jabberwock was then the prettiest of girls. They brilliant in the slithy toves and guired and gimbered in the wave. They mimsied in the border groves and the moory rafts out grave. Oh, frab just day, calucalay, and from your bandersnatch. The couple now have seven kids. And that is quite a badge. <laughs> Well, that's the story, and... Well... <laughs> look at Willie, sound asleep. <laughs> With his ruler and pencil in his mouth. 
I got a fine family. He falls asleep while I'm singing. Alice finds fault with my clothes. And worst of all, my daughter avoids me. I ain't got a friend in the world. Hi, Curly. <laughs> Frankie, it's you. Yeah, that's me. Yeah. I just dropped in to say hello. Yeah, but it means more than just hello to me right now. A real friend seems to know when to show up, doesn't he? If you say so. <laughs> You know something? There's a silent bond between us, Remley. You didn't know I needed you, and yet you came here. Why? Why? Well, the pool room was closed. I had no place else to go. Hey, Curly, what's bothering you? Oh, Frankie, little Phyllis has a boyfriend, and she won't even bring him in to meet me. Billy got a boyfriend? That ought to make you proud Well, it does, but I'd be prouder if I could meet my son-in-law Well, don't rush it Phyllis will introduce him to you eventually You know, you're not the kind of a guy anyone can meet too suddenly (laughs) You got time That's just it I haven't got as much time as you think The kids are growing up Why, in no time, Phyllis will have a steady boyfriend She'll get engaged, and before I know it, I'll be taking her up to the altar to give her away to another man. She'll be walking down the aisle on my arm. Then the well, minister will take their hands and join them in together. We'll, we'll take our love together <laughs> to the where we can be Julius, go away, will you? I got enough troubles. My daughter, Phyllis, is ashamed of me. No! (laughs) Yes. And feeling the way she does about me, there's no telling what little Phyllis might do. Hey, look, Julius, you're a kid. If I were your father, what would you do? I'd never talk to my mother again. Curly, you know, if what you say is true and you're standing in the way of your child's happiness, there's only one thing for you to do. What's that? Clear out. <laughs> Leave home. Yeah. Tibet's nice this time of the year. <laughs> well, if it meant their happiness, I'd even leave home and I'd... No. Huh? No, I can't. If I went away, who'd take care of Alice and the kids? Well, seeing as Julius and me are in on that, Julius and me will share that responsibility. <laughs> We'll take care of your wife and kids Yeah, I'll take care of Miss Faye I'll take care of the kids <laughs> No! <laughs> no, you don't This is my idea I get first choice I'm too young to take care of kids <laughs> No, you're not. I'm arranging this thing, and I'm... Hold it, hold it. Now, look here, you guys. Oh, are you back? I thought you were in Tibet. Now, cut that out. I got a problem, and you two guys ain't helping me any. Oh, if I could only find out for sure why Phyllis is ashamed of me. Why don't you make her tell you? Yeah. Sure. That's exactly what I'll do. I'll make her tell me if I have to spank it out of her. Mr. Harris, such barbarianism. <laughs> that ain't the subtle way to handle us little tykes. 
You've got to remember that our immature minds are delicate mechanisms that must be approached with discreet finesse. <laughs> the sensitivity of our juvenile brains has a hairline precision and nothing must be done to upset that equilibrium. <laughs> Don't you gentlemen agree? <laughs> Monsieur Remley, voulez-vous très bien avec moi ce soir? Je ne sais pas beaucoup, Hey, you guys, look at me! We will if you will. <laughs> All I'm trying to tell you is you should approach this psychologically. You understand that way, don't you? Of course I do. What do you think I am, a dope or something? Monsieur Remley, eh? voulez-vous très bien? Oh, what's the use? Don't leave <laughs> Goodbye, Julius. <laughs> hey, Rem. What was that little character batting about? He means you should use child psychology on Phyllis. Child what? Psychology. Simple. It's a. Well, it's an approach to. That is, you. You. <laughs> You got any books here, Ronnie? <laughs> yeah, Alice must have. Let's look at that book, uh, uh, those books in the shelves. There. All right, let me see. Ah, here it is, Curly. Psychiatry and its application. I thought you said the word was uh, uh, psychology. Psychology, psychiatry, same thing. <laughs> you sure? Do I ever lead you wrong, Curly? <laughs> Really? Ah, look, here's the chapter you want Treatment of the female patient Let me see that book Here you are, right there Where were you reading? Here Oh, yeah, I see Wait a minute The patient must be approached scientifically That's what we want Yeah, we suggest asking the following questions Until the patient oh, is... Thir- can I go out and... Oh, I'm sorry, Daddy I didn't know you were here Wait a minute, fellas to- Come on in here, come back Look, I want to ask you a few questions uh, About what? Well, about... Wait till I look at the book Oh, yeah. Now, look. Young lady, lie down on this couch. (laughs) Give your subconscious mind full reign and tell me all about your sordid past. Huh? What does sordid mean, Daddy? Well, it means, um... Well, it... it, uh... Monsieur Remley, voulez-vous, Trabier? I'll ask her. Ask me what, Uncle Frankie? Now, now. Just relax, child. (laughs) We're trying to help you. Now then, tell me. Why do you hate your mother? I don't hate my mommy. She ain't cooperating. Oh, give me back that, will you? Give it to me. Now, look, honey. This is almost the last question. Now, listen closely. When did you first notice your marital incompatibility? <laughs> well, don't stall. Answer me. You know what it means, don't you? Well, Monsieur Remley, voulez-vous... Stop that! <laughs> hey, Remley. Incidentally, what is that marital incompatibility? Curly, your ignorance is appalling. <laughs> really very simple. The word marital refers to marching music for soldiers. (laughs) The 
word compatible means to fight, therefore incompatible means not to fight. <laughs> Put them together and we have a phrase meaning a soldier who does not want to fight. <laughs> Sounds logical <laughs> Phyllis, I'm going to have to rephrase my last question Now listen When did you first become a draft dodger? <laughs> no Don't sound right when you say it, Curly The question should be asked so Oh, that keep the quiet, Remley, draft dodger You and your psychology I'll handle this thing my way Now look, Phyllis I'm going to come right out and ask you Why are you ashamed to introduce me to your boyfriend? It can't be because of my clothes. You said you love my English vest. Vest? Oh, Daddy, I'd rather not talk about it. See you later, Daddy. Wow. Wow. I guess I got my answer. She just doesn't like my clothes. Guess not. And there's only one thing for me to do. If it means my child's happiness, I'll get rid of my entire wardrobe. I'm going to give it all to charity. Phil! Phil, what did you say to Phyllis? She came out shaking like a I leaf I know, honey, I'm sorry But I at least found out what's bothering her And I'm gonna fix it It's my clothes she's ashamed of So I'm gonna send my entire wardrobe to the Salvation Army Well, what are you picking on them for? They never did anything to you <laughs> All right, all right <laughs> I won't give them to them I'll give them to the Musicians Union <laughs> Those guys will wear anything <laughs> I'll help you pack And I'll take the stuff Over to the Union Hall Oh, thanks, Frankie You're a pal Let's All do right. it Hey, see you later, honey Gee, I hate to part With my beautiful English waistcoat. Phil, I think you're being A little hasty Oh, well, it's no use Once he makes up his mind What a guy Love somebody Yes, I do Love somebody Yes, I do Love somebody Yes, I do love somebody, but I won't say who Big and strong, bold and gay He's not very, very far away I would marry him today But who he is, I will not say Because I love somebody Yes, I do love somebody Yes, I do love somebody Yes, I do love somebody, but I won't say who Love somebody, mm, love somebody, mm, love somebody, mm. love somebody, but I won't say who. Handsome say he's six feet tall, and his picture's on my wall. Hope he doesn't pass me by, cause if he did, I'd die, I know I'd die. Love somebody. Yes, I do. Love somebody. You know I do. Love somebody. Yes, I do. Love somebody, but I won't say who. Don't know why he acts so shy. Cause he's such a manly guy. Hope he doesn't pass her by. Cause if he did, I'd die. I know I'd die. I love, love somebody. Yes, I do. Love somebody. Yes, I do. Love somebody. Yes, I do. I love somebody, but I won't say. Ooh. Well, 
Well, Alice, Frankie took all my loud clothes over to Union Hall. Phil, I don't think No, that... no. From now on, I'm the new Harris. I'm going to be more formal. Like this here suit I got on. Yes, sir. If you'll excuse me now, I'm going out and meet Phyllis's boyfriend. Oh, Phil. Yeah? Do you think you ought to go out three o'clock in the afternoon wearing a tuxedo? <laughs> Honey, it's the only dark suit I got Now come on with me I want you to introduce me to the boy Hey I hope I make a good impression On my future son-in-law I wonder where oh, they Phil, are Phil, There's Phyllis and her boyfriend Sitting on the swing Yeah <laughs> Cute, huh? Yeah, they're swinging Yeah Hey Hey, he's a nice-looking boy mm -hmm. Good-shaped head <laughs> Not too pointed Hey, Alice, you wait here. I'm going to sneak up behind them and see if I can hear what they're saying. But, Calvin, when, when, when men and women get engaged, they're supposed to kiss. Now kiss me. Oh, stop nagging. <laughs> but you have to do something when you get engaged. Let's wrestle. Come on, I'll get up and show you some new holes. Hey, Phyllis, did you order a lemonade or something? No, Why? There's a waiter standing in back of you. Waiter? <laughs> oh, Calvin, this is my daddy. Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Harris. I didn't know. Oh, that's all right, Calvi. So, uh... So you're engaged to my daughter, huh? <laughs> Have a cigar, son. Say, <laughs> hey, let me look at you. You're... Daddy, Calvin has to go now I do not Please go, Calvin Before he notices you're wearing his V-E-S-T Shh, you'll get W-I-S-E <laughs> Ain't that cute? Spelling out their words of endearment <laughs> Hey, Cal, don't go I want to know you better I like your looks Gee whiz, you're so manly and awful sloppy dresser, though. Hey, tell me, kid, um, is that a double-breasted life jacket you're wearing? Or... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's my English waistcoat. Now, where'd you get that? I gave it to him as an engagement present. <laughs> Daddy, you see, we both like what you wear so much that I thought that Phyllis. you best... You like my clothes? You mean you didn't introduce Calvin to me because he was wearing... Oh, no. I gave everything away, and you gave him my waistcoat. Don't worry, Daddy. We got something even better in return. Calvin gave me the most beautiful engagement present a girl ever got. Yeah? What did he give you? A pair of matched frogs. <laughs> My English waistcoat for two frogs? Phyllis, it's not a fair exchange. You're right, Daddy. Calvin, here's one of your frogs back. <laughs> this is your Rexall family druggist again, and that about winds things up for tonight, so... Wait a minute, please. Yes? I'd like to find out a little more about Rexall's one-cent sale. Well, it starts next Wednesday, and it goes on through Saturday. 
The year's four biggest bargain days at every drugstore with the orange and blue Rexall sign in the window. And that's the sale where I get two products for the price of one plus one cent? That's right. Just a penny more buys twice as much. Take our 100-tablet bottle of Rexall Pure Test Aspirin, for instance. Ordinarily, it sells for 49 cents, but during the one-cent sale, you can get two bottles for only 50 cents. All through our stores, we'll have bargains like that. 279 of them, ranging all the way from cough syrup to shaving cream. Sounds wonderful. I'll be saving my pennies for Wednesday. That's a good idea. They'll double your buying power during Rexall's one-cent sale. Good night, folks. Don't forget, folks, the year's biggest drugstore bargain event starts Wednesday. Rexall's famous one-cent sale at 10,000 Rexall drugstores throughout the nation. Look for the orange and blue Rexall sign in the window, then step inside and save. This program was produced and directed by Paul Phillips. The part of Frankie Remley was played by Elliot Lewis, and Julius was played by Walter Tetley. Alice Fay appeared through the courtesy of 20th Century Fox. This is Bill Foreman wishing good health to all from Rexall. Sunday is fun day on NBC. Stay tuned to this station for the Edgar Bergen, Charlie McCarthy show, which follows immediately. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Hello again, this is Buck Benny speaking. Welcome to another episode of the Jack Benny Show from the 1938-1939 season. We said this was going to be a season of changes uh, in the 1952 episodes. Uh, this is the season before the final season. In the 1948 episodes, 48 and 49... Jack moves mid-season from NBC to CBS, where he would later do his television show for CBS as well. And in this season, the 1938-1939 season, NBC's shows are really gaining popularity. Uh, there's probably, I assume, a lot of money flowing into NBC. And so they create a new recording studio, for their shows, and this is Jack's last episode in the old studios. And the next episode, he'll be moving into the new studios. And on this episode, we get to have an appearance by Ed Boulogne as Mervyn, and Elliot Lewis as Laverne. Uh, Elliot Lewis, of course, famous for being Frank Remley, and later changes to the character name of Elliot Lewis, uh, on the uh, Phil Harris show. So it's fun to hear Elliot Lewis. I always love it when he appears on the Jack Benny show before he was ever Frank Remley, the character. Uh, he he does a lot of different roles for Jack at different times, and this will be a fun one t today for this episode. So just a, it's going to be all-around fun episodes. They'll be uh, saying goodbye to the old studio, hello to the new studio, um, the other thing I w should mention is we're still having our 
fundraising drive. If you haven't donated to the podcast, that would be great. Uh, before Christmas, we need to have enough money to pay for the next year's worth of bandwidth. And as we get more and more and more people tuning in, which we'd love to have, uh, it's but it costs us more and more bandwidth. So anybody who could donate, that would be wonderful. Uh, I have a little pull-down box now that I'll have on this episode, and I have it on lots of the episodes, um, where you can pull down and select a, the $2 level, where you're just pledging just a one-time payment of $2 through PayPal. Uh, that's the uh, Dennis Day level, I call it, because, of course, he has two shows, <laughs> so it's $2. Uh, and then I have lots of other levels, all the way up to the highest it will let me put in was $10,000, and I call that the network level. Uh, you want to do that? You can choose half the shows I put on the air um, every week, but uh, I really doubt anyone will ever do that. It's That's uh, basically a joke, but but it was just, I just wanted to see if it would let me do it, and it does. But uh, no one's ever donated at that level before. But anyhow, um, oh, and to get to my... Uh, podcast, all you have to do is go to uh, buckbenny.com. So just type in www.buckbenny.com and it should take you right to my podcast page. Um, and that's all we'll cover for right now. Uh, have yourselves a great weekend and tune in tomorrow for some more Jack Benny from the 1952-1953 season. Um, these are just I just love bringing you these episodes. It is so much fun to bring you these shows, and uh, this, these are some fantastic seasons. It's great to hear these early ones right next to the later ones. Uh, makes a great juxtaposition. And I hope you tuned in earlier to listen to our first episode of the Jack Haley Show, which also has Mr. Kitzel on it, and uh, Gail Gordon and Lucille Ball. Um, it's right when Jack Haley was filming The Wizard of Oz, so it's Pretty cool stuff. Uh, anyway, we'll see you next time for more Jack Benny. The Jello program starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Kenny Baker, and yours truly, Don Wilson. The orchestra opens a program with For No Rhyme or Reason. you've often heard people say, today was a red-letter day for me. Well, let me tell you, any day can be a red-letter day by those big red letters on the Jell-O box. For they spell Jell-O, and Jell-O spells a treat. That name is your guarantee of grand desserts, because the name Jell-O is a trademark. 
It's the property of General Foods. And it tells you here is the genuine, the one and only Jell-O. If you hear any other gelatin dessert called Jell-O, you'll know that is incorrect. And that's why we ask you to insist on Jell-O by name. For Jell-O brings you that delicious, extra-rich fruit flavor. A wonderful, refreshing fruit freshness that just can't be topped. So when you go to your grocer, don't accept any substitutes. Those big red letters spell red letter desserts. For they spell Jell-O. gentlemen, I'd like to announce that next week this program will move to the new NBC studios on Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood. So tonight, folks, let us bid adieu to this old room where for three years, every Sunday night, you have heard that same old sweet voice saying, Jello again, this is Jack Benny talking. <laughs> Thank you, thank you. Well, Don, this is our farewell performance under this old roof. Just think, after three years of work and worry and fun, we gotta move. I don't know how you feel about it, Don, but, see, I'm ready to go over in the corner and have a good cry. Oh, Jack, I wouldn't take it that hard. After all, it's just moving from one studio to the other, that's all. I know, Don, but I'm sentimental. I just can't stand changes. I felt the same way when they raised the prices at the Brown Derby. <laughs> But I'm built that way, and there's, there's nothing I can do about it. But, Jack, this new studio will be wonderful. Why, it's modern and gay. It's full of bright lights and decorations. Don, none of that, please. I'm not a child that can be bought with chromium and tinsel. You can't tell me anything. I made up my mind to be brokenhearted tonight, and I'm going to stay that way. But, Jack, you're so silly. After all, this is only a building with so much brick and steel and cement. Brick, steel, and cement? That's enough, Tom. That's like saying Garbo was a rag of bone and a hunk of hair. <laughs> you're just cold and callous. Now, wait a minute, Jack. I've got feelings. Why, I've got more sentiment in my little finger than you have in your whole body. Your little finger. I've seen legs of lamb that were smaller than that. <laughs> You and your feelings, huh? John is right, Jack. You're always making a mountain out of nothing. What's there to be sad about? Well, Yeah, dear. why are you always trying to get sympathy? You haven't got any more sentiment for this building than a termite. Oh. Oh, I haven't, eh? I haven't got any sentiment, eh? Well, let me show you something, Phil. You see my watch chain here? You think that's an elk's tooth hanging on it, don't you? Yeah. Well, it's not. This tooth belonged to the first girl I ever went out with. <laughs> Rosie Gum. <laughs> and another thing, you know that big moose head that hangs in my den? If that's her mother, I'll scream. Well, it's not. If you want to know something, I got that moose head. It... Come in. Pardon me, Mr. Benny, but we were sent over here to move the furniture out of the room. The furniture already? Yeah. Come on, Mervyn. Okay, Laverne. <laughs> 
Well, for heaven's sake, can't they even wait until we're through? We've been here three years. Another ten minutes isn't going to make any difference. That's our business, buddy. Grab that chair, Mervyn. Okay. Hmm. Imagine that, fellas, all this rush to get over into that new building. Well, what's the matter with that new building? Don't you believe in progress? Don't you believe in the advancement of radio? Well, certainly I do. But listen, Phil, you should be the last one to want to go into that new studio. Why? Because when we get there, your orchestra will have to wear shoes. <laughs> that's why. Oh, uh, yeah? Yeah, they're going to wear shoes next Sunday night, and that's an order. Order or no order, you're going to see plenty of bunions tapping time. <laughs> Fine bunch of artists you got. Eight hillbillies, four huckleberry fins, and a Zulu. <laughs> Phil, I wish you'd tell your first violinist, incidentally, to stop selling sandwiches while the program is going on. <laughs> well, he's got to make a living some way. Not at my expense. I bought a three-decker from him last week, and all it had in it was a strip of bacon and two bars of the Lambeth Walk. Now, i tell you one thing, Phil. Hey, Mervyn, give me a hand with this ashtray, will you? The ashtray? I got it. Together now. <clears throat> I give you my word of honor, folks. That ashtray doesn't weigh over three ounces. Now, look, be as quiet as you can, will you, fellas? Okay, okay, we'll watch it. Gee, he's a fuss budget, ain't he, Laverne? Yeah. <laughs> Gee, Mary, look at him taking those chairs out. I can't bear to watch it. Just think, we spent three years working in this one little room. Yeah. Now we gotta leave. Oh, well, we've had some mighty funny programs come out of here. We've had some mighty other kind, too. <laughs> well, naturally, we can't always click. Even a castanet misses once in a while. <laughs> Gee, Mary, don't you feel sad about leaving here? Do I? What do you think I got on this piece of paper? Hey, Mervyn. What? I'll bet it's one of them lousy poems. <laughs> Now, you keep out of this. Is it a poem, Mary? Yes. It's a farewell to this old studio. Well, this is one time I'll appreciate it. What's the title of your poem? I've got those. I hate to leave this studio with its fond memories where I've spent so many happy days blues. <laughs> well, take a deep breath and start the poem. Okay. <clears throat> <clears throat> I feel so lonely, sad, and blue, I could bite my nails and say boo-hoo. For today we move, this gang and me, from NBC to NBC. That's very clever, Mary. Now get funny. <laughs> you may say, what does it matter? But here we've heard Jack's funny chatter. It brought a smile, a laugh, a roar. That's right. And now and then, a great big snore. <laughs> Mary, I feel bad enough as it is. When programs here we did begin, Don Wilson only had one chin. Hey, he did at that. And little me was sweet 16. And Kenny looked like Bobby Breen. Gee, and it seemed like yesterday. Hey, Laverne, ain't that something? Yeah, have you got an aspirin? Hmm. Is that all, Mary? Uh, one more verse. Oh. In my throat there is a lump as we leave this dear old dump. Dump? So here's good luck and lots of joy from Flatfoot Mary with a Floy Floy. Yeah! Yeah! Well, Mary, I thought that was one of your best poems. It was simply grand. And you know, Jack, I wrote that one in bed. In bed, huh? Yeah. Was I surprised when I woke up? <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I imagine it would be a shock. And now, folks, Phil Harris and his orchestra will play a brand new peppy tune called What Have You Got That Gets Me. Are you ready, Phil? All set. Hey, Mervyn, shall we dance? Yes, comrade, let's. <laughs> mm, play, Phil. I'll collect the ticket. <laughs> God That Gets Me, played by Phil Harris and his orchestra. Say, Phil, uh, that number is from my new Paramount picture, Artists and Models Abroad. I know, that's why I played it. Well, it's a swell tune. And you know, Phil, originally uh, I sang a whole chorus of that number to Joan Bennett in one of our love scenes, didn't I, Mary? Yeah, but the cotton in her ear showed, so they had to cut it out. <laughs> wasn't the reason at all. They just didn't want me to conflict with Crosby. <laughs> After all, we both work for the same studio. You know. Well, how does the picture look, Jack? I mean, uh, how are you in it? Oh, I'd rather not talk about it, Don. It'll, you know, it'll sound like I'm conceited and I'm bragging, you know. Wait till it comes out and you'll see for yourself how great I am. <laughs> no kidding. No, on the level. You know, now here, I'm supposed to be a comedian. Yet I handled the love interest with Joan Bennett about as well as... Well, I won't say better, but as well as any lover on the screen. And believe me, I'm sincere. Oh, sure, sure. <laughs> well, I did. Why, Jack, I saw it, and you didn't kiss Joan once in the whole picture. Well, I... Well, what's that, Jack? You didn't even kiss Joan Bennett? Well, heavens knows I tried to. <laughs> Phil, she's as quick as a deer. <laughs> But, you know, there was one other scene I had, fellas. Now, you talk about pathos. Well... Hey, Mervyn, bring over the stepladder. I want to take these drapes down. The what? The stepladder. <laughs> now, Phil, you talk about pathos. Here it is, Laverne. Hold it steady now. Oh. Now, you talk about pathos. There's one scene where Joan and I quarrel, and she says goodbye and leaves me. And there's a look that comes over my face that... <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
Isn't that awful? Did you, did you hurt yourself, Laverne? Yeah, I banged my elbow. Oh, I'll kiss it for you. <laughs> oh, what's the use? Let's forget my picture, will you, fellas? We're way ahead of you. Hmm. Now, wait a minute, Jack. Wait a minute. Was there any place in the picture where you were able to mention Jell-O? You know, you told me you'd try. Well, Don, it was very difficult. You see, the story is late. Hey, Mervyn, take these pictures and load them on the truck. Okay. You see, the uh, story is late in Paris. Well, Joan and I had one scene in a restaurant, but I didn't know how to order Jell-O in French. Well, Jack, all you had to say was, Garçon, donnez-moi the Jell-O. Oh, donnez-moi the Jell-O, I see. Well, supposing the waiter asked me, What flavor? <laughs> Well, then you could have said, I want the strawberry or raspberry, cherry, orange, lemon, or the lime. Don, that's about as French as corned beef and cabbage. <laughs> I suppose I should have asked to see the big rouge letters on the Picard. <laughs> anyway, it's too late now, Don. Hey, Mervyn, hand me that screwdriver, will you? Oui, oui, monsieur. <laughs> Oh, go away. Say, fellas. It's about time for Kenny's song. Where is he? I don't know. I haven't seen him. He comes in whenever he feels like it. Oh, well, if he doesn't show up, I'll sing. Hey, Kenny, you're going to sing. Go ahead. I'll sing, will you? Hello, Jack. Gee, I'm burned up. Well, so am I. Where were you? Should have been here when the show started. Well, it's not my fault I'm late. I got here an hour ago. What happened? Well, every time I try to come into the studio, two guys would pick me up and throw me in a truck. <laughs> Darn those movers. Well, what, what did they think you were, a statue or something? Oh, I guess so. One guy said, careful, don't drop it. <laughs> well, Kenny, that's the topper. You didn't have to be shoved around like that. Why didn't you tell those mugs to let you alone? I thought it was part of the program. Oh, you did. Bend over, Kenny. Like this? Yeah. Ouch. That's part of the program, too. Gee, it's getting to be more fun every year. It sure is. Now, let's drop it. It's time for your song. Uh, what are you going to sing? You know? Well, uh, at first, I was going to sing, You Go to My Head. Uh-huh. And then I said to myself, no, Kenny. Why don't you sing Now It Can Be Told? Oh. And then I thought it over and said, Kenny Baker, the song... Well, to cut a long story short, Kenny, what's it going to be? Oh, I'm so mixed up now, the heck with it. The heck with nothing. Go ahead with your song. Hey, Mervyn, give me a hand with this, will you? I got it. Put him down. He's got to sing. <laughs> yeah. Now, listen, you fellas, I've had just about enough from you. You can finish all of this moving later. Ah, pipe down, you old mackerel. <laughs> mackerel? Those are fighting words, brother. Yeah? Well, you want to make something out of it? <laughs> You're just lucky I got this coal. <laughs> Sing, Kenny. <laughs> <laughs> Got a date with a dream, a dream divine. I've got a date with a dream who may be mine. I've got to hurry and dress to meet her at seven. When any old 
corner becomes a corner of heaven, blue heaven. I wish the clock would tick faster. I wish the weary day would hurry by. I wish the sun would start to leave the sky. For I'll be happy when the moon is high. I've got a date with a dream, a dream divine. I've got a date with a dream. Maybe mine. I've got to hurry and dress to meet her at seven. When any old corner becomes a corner of heaven, blue. Dance with a dream, we'll dance on air. I'm gonna speak to a dream. Whatever I can, is over. I'll kiss her good night, and then I'll have a date with a dream and meet her. I've Got a Date with a Dream, sung by Kenny Baker. And that was swell, Kenny. You were an excellent voice. Thanks, Jack, and it was white of you to admit it. Well, there's nothing... <laughs> there's nothing white about it. You have a marvelous voice, and there's no getting away from it. Well, if it's so darn marvelous, what do you want to get away from it for? I don't want to get away from it. I paid you a compliment, you little brat. You did? Yes. Bend over, Kenny. <laughs> Can you beat that, Mary? You pay a fellow a compliment, he don't know what you're talking about. Well, it's your own fault. You always try to mix them up. Yeah, why don't you pick on somebody your size? That's what I say. Now listen, you guys. Yeah. yeah. Get away from me, you'll catch my cold. <laughs> and now, folks, if I may be permitted to talk on my own program, I would like to announce that next Sunday night, we will again attempt a stupendous and artistic dramatic triumph. We are going to present none other... Then the... Hold it, Jack. Come in. Hey, Jack, look who's here. Well, well, the mayor of Van Nuys. Hiya, Buck! Well, Andy, we're sure glad to see you. Gee, I thought you forgot about us this year. What, you finally showed up? Huh? Yes, sir, and I better be terrific. <laughs> <laughs> well, make yourself at home, Andy. This is your hangout. Hiya, Mayor. Hello, Curly. How are all the girls? Are they still chasing you? They sure are, Andy. Well, if you get out of breath, let me know. <laughs> hey, Andy, look who's here. Hello, Your Honor. Hello, Mary. <laughs> I'll give you a kiss if I thought you'd appreciate it. I won't, so unpucker. 
Well, that's settled. We don't have to waste the sound effect there. <laughs> hey, and there's Kenny. What have you been doing, kid? Oh, just singing and bending over. Say, <laughs> hey, Andy, you're not going to forget your old friend Don Wilson, are you? I should say not. Hello, Don. Hello, Andy. You, you put, put on, on a little, little weight, weight, haven't you? you? <laughs> Hey, one at a time, fellas. Well, Andy, we're sure glad to have you with us again. Tell me, did you have a good time this summer? I had a swell time, Buck. I went to Honolulu and I took Ma and Pa along. To Honolulu? Say, that must have been a real vacation. See, I could just picture your Pa with those Hawaiian girls in their grass skirts there. Wow! Huh? Oh, he didn't hang around them much. What's the matter? Was he bashful? Oh, it wasn't that, Buck. Ma had him on a leash. <laughs> Oh, you had him on a leash, eh? How did it work out? Well, not so good. We had trouble getting him into restaurants. Oh. Well, anyway, Andy, I envy you. <laughs> I should have waited a little bit there. So. <laughs> anyway, Andy, I, I really, I envy you that trip. Gee, I remember when I was there and saw those beautiful hula dancers. Gee, they are gorgeous. But then that's nothing compared with the marvelous scenery, the palm trees, the tropical flowers and the coloring of the sky against the blue Pacific. Yes, sir, they sure can wiggle. <laughs> Andy, I wish you'd keep up with the conversation. I was talking about the flowers and scenery. Oh, I can enjoy that stuff when I'm on the Townsend plan. <laughs> That's right. Hey, say, Andy, uh, how about the boat trip? Did you enjoy your boat trip? I sure did. But there was one day when it was awful rough. You want to hear about it? Yeah, bend over, Andy. <laughs> Don't bother. We can hear about it later. What do you got in that package, Andy? Oh, I nearly forgot. Here, Buck, here's a little present I brought you. A present? Well, something from Honolulu, huh? <laughs> Go ahead and open it. Well, gee, that was sweetie, Andy. Gee whiz. Oh, fellas, look at this. A real pineapple. <laughs> Gee, gosh, I don't know what to say. I've, I've always wanted one of these. Well, for heaven's sake, Jack, you can buy one at any grocery store. Not one like this. This is a real Hawaiian pineapple. I know, because when I was over there, I used to look up and see thousands of them growing on the trees. Why, Jack, you couldn't have looked up, because pineapples don't grow on trees. They're plants, and they grow right out of the ground. Well, this was years ago. I was short then. <laughs> Don't tell me about pineapples. Jack, you must be thinking of coconuts. I'm not thinking of coconuts. I'm telling you, fellas, I used to look up and see the pineapple. Why, you couldn't have looked up and seen it. I could, too. Listen, a full-grown pineapple plant is only three feet high. How tall were you at the time? One foot six and shut up. <laughs> anyway, it was mighty sweetie, Andy. Thanks for the pineapple. You're welcome. Bring some cottage cheese next Sunday. We'll make a salad. Oh, no, no. This is mine. Stick around, Andy. Right after the program, I'll take you over to my place for a real home-cooked dinner. Gee, I'm hungry. And now, ladies and gentlemen, as I started to announce before, next Sunday night, we're going to present a stupendous and artistic dramatic triumph that we feel will... I'll answer. Hello? Hello, Mr. Benny. This is Rochester. Oh, you. Are what you do you want? Are you planning to come home for dinner tonight? Why, certainly I am. Well, if you want something to eat, you better bring that pineapple. Now, what are you talking about? There was plenty of food in the icebox when I left the house this morning. What happened to it? In the which? 
In the ice box. When I left this morning, it was just bulging with food. Well, the swelling's gone down now. <laughs> Rochester, did you throw another party this afternoon? Well, come to think of it, a few of my friends dropped in for some tea and donuts. Now, listen, if you just served tea and donuts, what happened to all those lamb chops? Well, I ran out of donuts. Yes? So we bored holes in the chops and dunked them. <laughs> That's fine. And what happened to that big roast turkey that was there? Oh, that? Yeah. That was first prize in the bingo game. <laughs> Well, that's the last straw. You got a lot of nerve inviting people to the house without my permission. Well, I went to college with them. I don't care where you went. <laughs> See that you have some food in the house when I get there. Okay. Goodbye. Say, boss. What? As long as you're coming home, will you bring my fan mail? <laughs> Next Sunday night, we're going to present a stupendous and artistic dramatic triumph that we feel... All right, Mervyn, we're nearly through. Let's take up this rug. Okay, get off, buddy. Now, wait a minute. I thought you guys had gone. Now, you're not going to take this rug until we're through with our program. I'm standing on it, and I won't get off. Well, you better. You're too old to do a backflip. I am, eh? Well, I'm not budging off this rug. Come on, Mervyn. He asked for it. Okay. Well, that's the last straw. Listen, you mugs, I'm going to take this up with the head of NBC. Who do you think I am? Oh, pardon me, Mr. Swallow. I didn't recognize you in those overalls. Playing Phil. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not true. There's nothing new under the sun. There is. I know. It's new and it's delicious. It's the new Jell-O butterscotch pudding, one of the grandest desserts you ever dipped a spoon in. It's mellow and it's creamy smooth. It's rich and glossy looking with a tempting toffee color. It's luscious with good old-fashioned brown sugar. In other words, it's a swell dish. And the Jell-O butterscotch pudding is only one of three new Jell-O puddings. There's vanilla, real vanilla, a delicate creamy pudding dessert with a wonderful flavor. And there's chocolate, rich and smooth and chocolatey. And all three Jell-O puddings are amazingly quick and easy to prepare with just a few moments cooking. Simple directions are in every package. And take my word for it, for I've tried them all, you get real homemade pudding with a perfect satin smoothness of texture and a rich, full flavor that can't be beat. So try all three and try them soon. The best way is to buy three packages at a time. Jell-O butterscotch, vanilla, and chocolate pudding. Three prize-winning new desserts your family's going to go for. Uh, we ran overtime, so good night, folks. Kenny Baker appears on the Jell-O program through courtesy of Mervyn Leroy Productions. This is the National Broadcasting Company. <laughs>